Private home sales are often contingent on testing for radon, a clear and odorless gas that's the second leading cause of lung cancer nationwide. If it's detected, the seller must fix the problem. But what about people who depend on safe, well-maintained public housing? I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with investigative reporter Brad Schmidt about his year-long investigation into the invisible problem plaguing our nation's government-funded affordable housing. Schmidt found that many government landlords haven't even bothered to test for radon, potentially putting hundreds of thousands of low-income Americans at risk, and some haven't bothered to make the cheap fixes necessary to ensure those tenants are safe, even when problems are found. That conversation and more is up next. Brad, thanks for taking the time to talk today about your really eye-opening investigation into radon and kind of the lack of action from our federal and local housing authorities. It's really powerful stuff. So thanks for taking the time. Glad to be here. Thanks. How did you get onto this story? In April of 2018, I had just finished up a project with Jeff Manning looking at youth basketball Mm -hmm. and was looking for something new. And I was going through public records, which is what I often do. And I've previously written about the housing authority in Portland. And so I was reviewing essentially their minutes from their meetings. And I came across uh, in their contracting line items some radon mitigation contracting. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I didn't even know what radon really was. But I thought, well, there might be something here because there's a problem and they're fixing it. Let's look a little closer. The mitigation records showed that Home Forward, the housing authority for Portland and Multnomah County, had found radon. Radon is an odorless, invisible gas that is a known carcinogen. If you're exposed to it over a long enough period of time at high enough levels, it can cause lung cancer. And at that point, I knew it was an issue here and that the housing authority was taking steps to fix it. So Brad, we're talking in um, mid to late November, but last month, uh, Multnomah County's Housing Authority, uh, Home Forward, um, presented its um, tenants with some of the findings from your investigation. Can you talk about that meeting? Yes. So uh, Home Forward had sort of started doing its radon testing in earnest in 2017. We started last year and then this year uh, I wanted to see sort of where they were at and they had done testing in April at eight complexes. All of those tested high. How many people live in these complexes? About a hundred units across those eight complexes tested high. So it was a big deal that they found that much radon in April. And so I checked to see, uh, you know, did tenants get notified about this? And so I just happened to go out to Townhouse Terrace in East Portland on 136 between Division and Powell and started knocking on some doors, essentially to get people's reaction to the radon that was in their homes, assuming that they had been told by Home Forward mm-hmm. about the radon that was inside their homes. And again and again and again, I was talking to people who had no idea about the issue. 
they're like, well, yeah, I remember they came and did some testing. One person actually told me, well, when I didn't hear anything back, I thought that was good news. Wow. But actually that person had high rate on in their unit as did about two dozen people at that complex. So I am the one who ends up informing the tenants that they've been living in a unit with high levels of radon. One of those people was a woman named Carol Leavenworth who'd lived in the same unit for 26 years. She'd raised two daughters there and now she's raising two of her grandkids. Mm. Um, so all of this prompts an interview with uh, Home Forward. I talked to the executive director, there's some ambiguity in the interview about whether they even knew if they had actually sent out the notice as they were supposed to under their own policy or not, or if they actually were waiting to send out the notice until they could schedule mitigation. But ultimately, they agreed to change their policy and ensure that tenants are notified within six weeks. Okay. But they hold this meeting on October 1st uh, at Townhouse Terrace, and um, they basically tell all the tenants, well, here's what your results are. They hand out the sheet that I had obtained through a public records request. And some of the tenants were just, you know, frankly frustrated. One of the people there is like, you know, why, why are we learning about this from you now when this reporter who doesn't know me at all seems to have more um, concern about my health than the people who are supposed to? Uh, so it was, uh, it was a tense meeting. Um, Home Forward uh, cited the concerns they heard from tenants mm -hmm. as the reason that they revised their policy. Um, the concern from tenants, I think, was elevated because they learned about the results from a reporter, not the agency, six months after testing occurred. And the room that they held this meeting in? The room they held the meeting in also had tested high for radon. Home Forward has a policy where common spaces that test high are supposed to have a warning listed. The agency did not list a warning in that room. How quickly did you determine that um, there was more here than just uh, a Multnomah County problem? HUD, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, which ultimately pays for and is responsible for the policy setting for local housing authorities all across the country, had said radon is a big deal. In 2013, HUD had issued guidance to every housing authority across the country saying that it strongly encouraged radon testing. Didn't require it, but strongly encouraged it. So at the outset of my reporting, I thought there could be a local story examining why five years after HUD said, essentially, do something about this, we were only now doing something. But as part of that, I wanted to learn if Portland maybe was actually ahead of the curve. And so I reached out to two housing authorities. One was in Seattle and Seattle said, no, we're not testing. Seattle, according to state data, is not in an area that is prone to having radon issues. Denver, on the other hand, is in an area that's prone to having radon issues. In fact, state testing data for Denver County showed that about a half of all tests done by private homeowners came back with problems. So when I asked the housing authority if they were conducting radon testing and the spokeswoman told me no, and in fact, we have no prevalent issues here, I realized that this could be a much bigger story. You know, it seems pretty easy at face value of why, why we should care about this, but um, I mean, 
Why should we care uh, about the fact that um, there are hundreds of thousands of Americans living in these units where we do know, right, that they likely have elevated risk? We know that about 400,000 people live in public housing units in parts of the country where the anticipated indoor radon level would require mitigation. We don't know if those units all have high levels of radon, but we know that they're in at-risk counties. We should care because these are vulnerable people who do not have the financial resources to move or to test themselves. And they are dependent on taxpayers and taxpayer-funded government programs to help them lead good and fruitful lives. And if a prerequisite of that is living in a home where you could be, you and your children could be exposed to a carcinogen, and that's the cost of doing business in this country, then that needs to be explored and explained for everyone to understand that we as a federal government say radon is a serious issue. We as a federal government encourage private homeowners to test to protect themselves. But we as a federal government and we as local government agencies all across the country don't think those rules should apply to our most vulnerable people. How hard is it to fix if you know you have a complex that with 40 units and they all have radon? It's not that hard to fix. It costs some money, but it's not that hard to fix. Testing costs about $60 a unit. Mitigation on average would run about $1,500 to $2,500 a unit, um, but it can be a lot lower. Uh, I have testing records from some of the places that have most recently made fixes and it's eight, 900 bucks. So it's not necessarily that expensive. Um, basically, it's you put in a mitigation system, which is some pipes and some fans, and okay. it sucks the air with radon away from the foundation of the house, so it's not entering your home and getting trapped there. Where does radon come from? So radon is released from the ground uh, from uranium um, that is in the soil and in the rocks. Uranium breaks down into radium. It breaks down into radon which breaks down into polonium. Uh, I'm not a scientist and uh, I've gotten way more geeky than um, <laughs> I would like to. But basically it's just, it's there are certain parts of the country that are most at risk based on what's in the ground. And so um, on the West Coast, you know, Portland is actually sort of one of the big spots, yeah. um, uh, but mostly it's in the Midwest, uh, the Great Plains, the Northeast. And um, I seem to recall, you know, uh, we were, um, my wife bought the house that we live in that, you know, before you buy a house, is it, is it required to do a radon test or it's, it depends on, you know, it's, it's highly encouraged, right? Yeah. Oftentimes if there is testing that's done, it's done during a real estate transaction. Um, buyers usually get notices about it and, uh, it's something you can make as a contingent part of your sale. And then oftentimes force the seller to pay for the cost. And so you mentioned earlier, Brad, that uh, it costs about 60 bucks in some cases, like if someone wants to test their own home or apartment, um, and how long does it take to, to test? Yeah. So the 60 bucks is actually, you know, if you go out and hire a professional and for the multifamily, um, okay. you can, you can order a test online, uh, for 10, $15 and test yourself. We're actually, uh, if you're listening to this, hopefully you're interested in reading the story. We have a video online that shows exactly how you can test, uh, so, you know, you hang a packet, a uh, charcoal activated packet in your house for three or four days and 
and you send it to a lab and you get your results back in the mail. And all for the price of like a six pack <laughs> these days in, in Oregon. There you go. You realize that this could be a much bigger story, um, but let's take a, a step back just a little bit. Like what is a housing authority and who, who lives in, in buildings that are uh, owned or managed by, uh, by housing authorities like, like Home Forward here in Multnomah County? Right. So housing authorities are, are essentially um, created back post-World War II um, when the nation was first starting to address low-income housing needs for people all across the country. Um, local municipalities or counties will form these independent agencies. They are government entities and they receive funding from the federal government to subsidize housing for low-income individuals. Um, public housing is one part of the programs that uh, Housing Authority offers. These are buildings that are actually owned by the local government and in many cases operated directly by the local government. Okay. There are other programs as well, um, voucher, Section 8 vouchers. Right, and you've done reporting on this uh, for a long time. but. Um, Suffice it to say, um, you have to earn a uh, fall within a certain income requirement to um, live in these complexes, right? Yeah, yeah generally it's going to be 30% median family income or below. So you started by looking at um, some of our uh, Western ish cities, I guess, Denver and Seattle that are uh, a little bigger than us, but comparable. Uh, where did you go from there in terms of looking at the radon issue? So at that point, we wanted to reach out in sort of a national scope and figure out. Are housing authorities testing? Are they following this guidance from HUD? Um, unfortunately, at the time, there was not a uniform set of data uh, HUD wasn't tracking. So we had to basically go out and create our own survey. So um, I looked at the housing authorities that were the largest in the country based on public housing and essentially worked down the list. Um, and we tried to set criteria to determine, you know, is this an area that is prone to radon. At the time, the CDC did not have its radon data uh, online. They've since put it on. So we actually ended up using a private testing site uh, that listed testing results and we set a criteria of, okay, are one in five tests high? If so, mm -hmm. then let's reach out to this housing authority that serves people in that county. So I worked down a list um, and set, uh, you know, if anything more than 900 units, let's try and reach out to them if it hits this criteria on a county by county basis and started sending emails out. Said, are you testing for radon? If so, how many units have you tested? How many units have come back high? How many have you fixed? And um, from that, we ended up coming up with a list of 64. And um, most of them said, no, we aren't doing any testing. If an agency said, yes, we are doing testing, I filed records requests seeking the documentation for the test results. So Brad, when you get this data uh, into something where things start to jump out to you as a reporter, um, what was jumping out to you? The sheer number of housing authorities that weren't doing testing, and then the housing authorities that did do testing often were finding radon, even in limited sampling, we were seeing that if they look, they tend to find radon in at least one unit. You mentioned earlier that radon is a carcinogen, a known carcinogen. Um, what, how does anyone know if they have radon in their home or apartment um, if they live there? Well, that's just the issue. Since it's invisible, you don't know it's there. You can't smell it, you can't see it, you can't taste it. So the only way to find out is to test. And, you know, the federal government for 30 plus years has been encouraging homeowners to test. Um, 
but the federal government has not ensured that people who live in low-income housing are having their units tested. And so since the only way was to test, to find out, we mm -hmm. thought, well, how about these places that aren't doing testing? I wonder what would happen if we decided to test. This is kind of a, one of the things that really makes your investigation stand out. This is not something we do a lot of uh, in terms of mailing testing supplies around the country. Can you tell listeners what exactly uh, you had to do um, to make uh, this experiment come to life, I guess? As I was looking at the list of housing authorities that hadn't done testing or hadn't done much testing or hadn't done testing in a long time, um, it just so turned out that some of them were in markets that were um, also part of our parent company, Advanced Local. We came up with this idea of what if we involve some of our partners and go out and distribute test kits at public housing locations and see what we find. If we test, will we find radon? So we partnered with news organizations in Cleveland, Ohio, Syracuse, New York, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, our news partner in Massachusetts, and in Huntsville, Alabama. And I actually went to Denver uh, and distributed test kits myself to tenants. In some cases, I set up the test myself, and then I called them and said, hey, it's time to take the test down and walk them through it. And in other instances, I actually left test kits with the individuals and then walk them through set up and take down of these tests by phone. It was um, a lot of handholding. And I have to say, I'm really grateful to the tenants there in Denver who um, were willing to participate because it was a bit of a time consuming process. A time consuming process that you're also, um, you know, asking to come into their home in some cases and, and physically test for something that, um, you know, in some, I, I'm sure a lot of folks hadn't heard of, right? Yeah, absolutely. I actually had a, a spiel that uh, I worked on prior to, uh, and I could recite it in about a minute. Uh, and then I gave it to the colleagues uh, across the country who would be doing this. Um, yeah. I mean, it's sort of a big ask, like, hey, I'm this random guy from Oregon, by the way, not mm -hmm. Denver, Oregon. And I'm here to test for an invisible gas that you've never heard of that if you're exposed to it for a long enough period of time at a high enough level, it could give you lung cancer. Just because you're exposed to it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get lung cancer, mm -hmm. but it's a risk. And would you like to find out if you have it in your unit? And if so, can I please come in and help you set up this test? Yeah, it was uh, it, it was it was interesting. It was fun. And you know, I mean, to to people's credit, a lot of people were like, "Yes, yeah, yeah, come on in." Like, yeah, let's find out. Did you have doors slammed in your face as well? Um, slammed in my face. No, uh, some people were skeptical. They wanted to see credentials yeah. and, um, you know, I mean, it's, you're having some random stranger walk into your house who, uh, five seconds before you'd never even heard of. So, yeah, yeah that's fair. I mean, if someone yeah. comes to my door, I, I would want to see the receipts, so to speak. So what, uh, what exactly did these, when these results started rolling in, what, what were the findings? I found high results uh, initially in five units in Denver. And we had been talking with radon professionals all along to make sure we were doing it right. And so we knew even if we found it one time with these short-term test kits, we would want to go back and test a second time and then take the average of the two because that's the standard that's used. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got five tests that were back from five units uh, and then... Um, contacted those tenants and went through the whole process again. And three of them were high a second time. So at that point, 
I mean, clearly I knew, okay, we've got a story here. And in conjunction with this timing, uh, folks across the country were also doing the testing. And we ended up finding high test results in Huntsville, Alabama, and Worcester, Massachusetts, and the other locations where we didn't uh, find high test results. That's not um, dispositive that there isn't something there. Um, we did a very limited sample. Um, we did not test every unit. And you know, in some cases, it's a challenge. In one of the locations in Harrisburg, the reporters were pretty upfront when they got back. They're like, listen, um, the tenants who live here say they have heating issues and the heat's always on. And so their units get hot. And so a lot of them were like, well, we'll test, but we're going to leave the window open a crack because that's how we cool our unit because it's too hot. And radon, you test for it in closed conditions, meaning the windows are closed. So when we didn't get any high test results back in in, in Harrisburg, again, it, it does it mean that there's no radon there or does it mean that our testing conditions weren't ideal because the tenants wanted to not close their windows, which is completely fair, you know? I mean, if you don't want to be in a sweltering apartment, it is what it is. So that is just but one example of some of the challenges that we encountered as uh, reporters. But um, it's uh, it's very hard to get a false positive. It's very easy to get a false negative. Um, so, you know, we, we stand by uh, our testing. Let's take a break. So, Brad, as an investigative reporter, you often have pretty significant roadblocks from the agencies that you're covering. Um, we talked a little bit about gathering the data from around the country, but what other um, barriers did you face in your reporting from some of the uh, housing authorities or the federal government uh, as you uh, proceeded on this? The hurdles were immeasurable. Um, from the very get-go, when we started reaching out to housing authorities, thought, well, let's just simply ask, have you tested for radon? And in many cases, I didn't prompt a response. So, okay, let's follow up again. Let's follow up again. Let's follow up again. Four times we're asking nicely, hey, have you done this? And mm -hmm. so we started to actually have to file records requests for agencies that hadn't responded just to force their hand. So that's number one. Then number two, when we went out and did the testing and after we got the testing results back, we provided them with the housing authorities that we were going to say, you know, we went out and tested and found radon and we'd like to talk with you about it. Uh, in uh, two cases, uh, the housing authorities just didn't respond for a week, week and a half, started having to call board members before I started getting responses back. Like, okay, we'll agree to an interview. Uh, in one case, uh, a housing authority that I'd previously spoken with um, that had said it had done testing, which mm -hmm. we went out and did the testing. After I told them, hey, we went and did testing and here's what we found, love to talk with you about it. Not only did I not hear anything back, what I believe was an errantly sent email from one of the employees said something to the effect of, uh, this guy's calling me, I'm not responding either. So, um, so clearly <laughs> I knew that people didn't want to talk about this issue. Um, and then, you know, HUD was a challenge in and of itself. Um, we presented uh, some preliminary findings to the agency um, back in 
August and waited around for about six weeks to see if Secretary Carson would talk with us and ultimately was told that he he wouldn't. This is um, Secretary Ben Carson, the um, you know famed neurosurgeon uh, who, who's the head of the agency. Yes, it, yes. And and just going back to HUD as well, you know, I mean, we actually started talking with them last year, uh, about two, three months into this when I realized, okay, like this is national in scope. And prior to the 2013 strongly encourage issue, mm-hmm. um, way back in 1988, there was actually a law on the books that put HUD on notice to make sure that people who lived in public housing weren't being exposed to radon. And so I started doing that deep historical dive to make sure I understood. And so we had posed some questions and just, you know, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Is this, am I missing anything here? And and so, you know, HUD, HUD was somewhat responsive, but uh, not particularly eager, shall we say. And um, it's often in these types of investigations, especially with this scale, um, you know, it's not unusual to see real-time um, impacts, whether it's a policy enacted or someone losing their job or, or something happens along the way as you're reporting. That happened here as well. Can you describe kind of what happened uh, in the last year as you were reporting on this issue? Yeah. So at the three locations where we did testing and presented the information to the housing authorities that we had found raid on. That's in Denver. Huntsville and Worcester. Okay. Um, we said, here's what we found. What do you think? Are you going to do anything? Essentially, none of them decided to test. Separately, however, we found in some instances that housing authorities had actually done some of their own testing. And so we followed up to see what had happened with that. And so in three cities, we found housing authorities had done testing, found high results, and did not fix those units let people live in units where there was known uh, elevated levels of radon. One of those was in Pittsburgh. Uh, After our inquiry, Pittsburgh said, essentially, yep, we should have fixed that. Sorry about that. Uh, We're going to fix it. And so they fixed four units where elevated radon had been found. Four? Four. In Portland, Maine, the housing authority had actually tested back in 2014 to meet the requirements of a state law. They had found high radon in 48 units. They said, well, that's not you know, definitive. Let's go do long-term testing. And then they confirmed high levels in about uh, half of those. So when I roll around in 2018 asking questions uh, about um, this and they say, well, we didn't fix those units. It's not required. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, well, I understand it's not required, but uh, you found high radon twice in more than two dozen units. Do you think the tenants should be breathing that? Why aren't you fixing it? And so after my inquiry, uh, the uh, agency decided that yes, indeed, it would fix uh, units. And so it launched mitigation efforts. Instead of fixing every unit, however, they decided they wanted to do a third round of testing, went back to short-term tests, and then only tested the units that uh, were high that third time. And then Finally, in Omaha, Nebraska, that was an agency that was not testing back in 2018. I talked to a former executive director there who said, well, it's on our to-do list. And to their credit, they actually did do it after our inquiry. Um, It was something that was on their to-do list. So they did it. They tested and they started finding high test results in single family homes that the housing authority owned. Uh, Through May, they found high test results in 16 of 38 homes that were tested. 
Uh, but they hadn't taken steps to fix all but one of them. So when we started asking why that had happened, um, the uh, new executive director started asking some critical questions of her staff about what what went wrong, essentially. Long story short, uh, the guy who was in charge of the public housing department no longer works there. Um, the executive director told us that he told her that he didn't receive test results back until July 31st of this year. I filed a records request that showed that he started receiving test results from another staff member there back in December and actually received the test results directly from the contractor in May. Um, so so he, they knew. They knew and they didn't do anything except in one case. Can you tell folks a little bit about Thomas Faison? He's a, another uh, Portlander who, um, who you talked to and has a pretty uh, disturbing story. One of, the, one of the folks I was talking with said, hey, uh, I know this guy who um, has lung cancer and his doctor believes that it was uh, linked to radon exposure. I ended up connecting with Thomas and we were talking about his story and, um, and he told me some of the places that he had lived uh, as his child. And I researched the ownership of those houses and Lo and behold, the place where he spent his elementary school years was owned by the Housing Authority of Portland, and the agency confirmed that it was, in fact, uh, public housing. It was one of those um, single-family homes that okay. the agency owned. There's no way to know what the radon levels were in the home when he lived there. It was um, you know, 30 years ago uh, at the exact same time that HUD was being told by Congress to do something about radon. Um, but we know that the home next door to his has a radon mitigation system installed. And we know that he went to an elementary school that had high levels of radon. And we know that he went to a middle school that had high levels of radon. Uh, we know that his doctor believes that um, it was uh, his, his lung cancer was, was caused by radon or that she strongly suspects that it was. Um, there's no way to know for sure. And how old is Thomas? So Thomas uh, was 35 years old when he was diagnosed with lung cancer. Um, he's a father of four. He uh, grew up uh, in Portland. He went to Grant High School. He was on the wrestling team and he ran track. He's moved around the country for a variety of jobs, ultimately ended up uh, working the production line at Nabisco here locally. Um, you know, he's He's about our age, and uh, he's dealing with this um, life-altering event. He has late-stage lung cancer. He's tried prescription pills. He's tried chemo. He's tried what is now uh, a trial. And, um, you know, as I've talked to him over numerous sit-downs, he, he's, he's stressed, you know. For people who question, you know, is radon a serious issue, I would point to, to Thomas. And there's no way to know for sure that radon caused his lung cancer, but his doctor believes it did. And, and he's living with something that I don't think anyone else would want to be dealing with. You've reported on affordable housing issues um, dating back almost a decade now, right here in, in Portland. Um, and now this um, issue has kind of brought this nationally for you and and kind of expose this this issue that a lot of people have no idea about haven't heard about i mean what's your big takeaway from from your reporting um on this issue 
Well, I think it raises some interesting questions about how we pay for housing in this country. Um, obviously, you know, we have this affordable housing crisis in Portland, and this is an agency, Home Forward, that provides more affordable housing than anyone else in the region. So first and foremost, they should be recognized for the job that they do and for the fact that they are putting vulnerable people in homes and helping those people. Um, that said, you know, public housing gets its money from Congress and how how are we funding this program that helps uh, keep the roofs over the heads of so many needy families? And, you know, the again and again and again, what I heard from housing authorities is, you know, we'd love to test, we'd love to, you know, ensure every possible risk under the sun is taken care of, but given our our limited budgets, what can we do? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that um, if, if nothing else, this story will spark hopefully a conversation about what is the adequate uh, level of funding that's needed to ensure the health and safety of the people who live in this housing. And should that include radon testing as, uh, as more than a, a, a strong encouragement to um, help keep people safe? Well, Brad, thank you so much for your work and for taking the time to talk about it. Thank you. Before we end the show, a quick conversation with editor Amy Wong about Season of Sharing, the Oregonian's annual holiday fundraising campaign. So Season of Sharing actually started in 1931 at the Oregon Journal newspaper, a former Portland Daily. It was the Great Depression, of course. And so the newspaper began organizing Christmas parties for those in need. Uh, somebody would dress up as Santa Claus and pass out stockings filled with treats at community clubs and social agencies and churches. After the journal and Oregonian merged in 1982, the Oregonian took over the campaign and named it Season of Sharing. Today, it is our holiday fundraising campaign to help social service agencies in Oregon and Southwest Washington that help individuals and families in need in our area. What can you tell us about about the uh, crop of agencies um, we're working with this year? So we are helping eight agencies that work in the areas of the arts, addiction and recovery, disability, and homelessness. And what kind of um, services do these agencies, I mean, you gave the umbrella um, of the various um, causes, but uh, like what kind of services do they provide? And is it all around the metro area? We have seven agencies that are in the Portland metro area and one down in Southern Oregon in Roseburg. And we looked for a range of services. Uh, one example is Oregon Children's Theater, which you might not think of normally as a social services agency, mm -hmm. but they have a program called Ticket to Read, which works specifically with children at low-income schools who may have very little experience with theater and literature. And so it kind of opens the door to that world for those kids. Uh, one of our other well-known agencies is Ride Connection, which provides transportation for people who don't have access to it, uh, either because of disability or because of other reasons. Our Roseburg agency is Safe Haven Maternity Home, which basically provides a refuge and a second chance for pregnant women or new moms who are in crisis. How can folks uh, um, give? Uh, what are the methods? There are two ways. Uh, you can write out a check 
to Oregonian Season of Sharing and mail it to our credit union. Uh, you can find the address for that at OregonLive.com slash sharing. We have partnered this year with GoFundMe. And so if you go to uh, GoFundMe's website and search for Season of Sharing, you will find our campaign page where you can either donate to the general Season of Sharing fund or to a specific agency. And you can do that on your smartphone, too. That's right. What else uh, should Oregonians know about why we do this or, or how, how they can help? I mean, obviously, around Thanksgiving, we all kind of, in the holiday season, we all kind of look internally about how we can help. But, I mean, what else should folks know? Well, I think season of sharing really epitomizes our work in journalism as a community service. Uh, you know, there's that old saying that I'm sure you know that we're here to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Uh, even though afflicted is a term that's sort of fallen out of favor, I think mm -hmm. the idea behind it is still very valid. I know some folks on staff who feel like this is some of the most important work they do all year. What kind of feedback do um, we get um, from from the agencies that we work with? The agencies find that it always raises their profile. Uh, they do see more donations. One thing that um, I didn't expect when I first started working with Season of Sharing, they see a lot more people coming forward to volunteer with agencies. Um, just today, we got uh, an email, one of the reporters who worked on Season of Sharing this year, from a father whose son has been helped by one of the agencies that we profiled. And he told us, you know, he couldn't appreciate more what the agency does. And it really warmed his heart to see it getting some recognition publicly. Amy, what else should uh, should our readers know about, about Season of Sharing and why we do this? Well, Season of Sharing is administered by a nonprofit, the, or, which is called Oregonian Public Benefits. And so the Oregonian covers just about all administrative fees for the campaign. We don't make any money off it. Also, for people who are uh, concerned about GoFundMe charging fees, for this particular campaign, GoFundMe is not charging any fees. The only fees are credit card processing fees, which donors can actually cover by choosing a tipping option. Oh wow! So it really uh, removes all all those barriers and questions about about where the money goes. Well, thanks so much for running this for us and for taking the time to describe the program. Thanks for the opportunity. You can read profiles about the eight agencies we're working with this year on OregonLive.com/sharing. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Check out Brad's investigative story, video, and database about radon at OregonLive.com slash radon. Check out my stories on the transportation beat at OregonLive.com slash commuting or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Thien. You can subscribe to Beat Check anywhere you get your podcasts to hear the latest episodes. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and review to help us spread the word. Until next time.